Welcome to EdTech Examined, a series about educational technology and what you need to know. I'm Eric Christensen. And I'm Chris Hans. This is episode 18, Privacy is Cool. Good afternoon, Chris. How's it going today? It's going well. How are you? I am great. We have an interesting episode we're going to jump right into talking about privacy since that seems to be top of mind uh, in the tech world. So uh, do you want to kick it off with talking about some of the privacy news, what's happening with WhatsApp? Yeah, no, absolutely. So uh, obviously it's probably uh, top of mind for people where uh, you may have seen there's been this mass exodus of users just dropping WhatsApp. And part of this is, uh, I think it's it's kind of interesting because these terms of use have been around uh, since 2016. So it isn't uh, something that's uh, new, but I I think probably what's happened is with Apple introducing uh, the measures for app developers to actually disclose how they're using uh, your data there. And this was with iOS 14. So a number of people have now started shifting and trying to find an alternative. And so that alternative, it's it's actually kind of interesting because uh, over the last few weeks, there's been hundreds of millions of people searching for Signal and Telegram and other apps. And I, I think Signal is getting the the biggest jump. Um, I mean, uh, one of the, the most prominent people out there that advocates for Signal is Edward Snowden. And he, apparently he uses it every day. He's their like biggest endorser. And, uh, and Elon things- Musk. Uh, and yeah, that's true too. Elon does it too. But um, at, at the end of it, it's uh, apparently it's the most secure, uh, you know, uh, platform out there. And uh, I mean, I've downloaded it before and, you know, the big difficulty was just getting people on board for adopting and downloading the app. And um, and I was kind of pleasantly surprised this time around. Uh, I've been, I mean, the only people that I actually use WhatsApp with is just a, a some close family and and then we have some research projects where it just makes it easier to go and communicate on the on the fly but uh you know it's it's the most secure system out there in fact um one of the things if you look at it from a business model standpoint signal is set up as a not-for-profit organization and so they rely on donations there is no you know profit uh, motive for them to go and use your data whereas basically with the whatsapp what they're doing is now uh, what people are it's coming to their mind is that uh, the information that you're discussing in whatsapp is being used by facebook which owns the whatsapp app and uh, they can go and sell it to third-party you, you know, companies for advertising purposes. And so this is where you may have noticed this over the, the last, basically it would be the last four years, where if you're talking about something and it might be, you know, on the phone or it might be, uh, you know, in chat. And then next thing you know, all of a sudden you're getting all these ads, uh, whether it's on your web browser or if you're on some sort of social media platform and especially uh, the Facebook, uh, you know, group of companies this is where they were getting that information. And so now people are getting a little bit more, um, you know, aware of this. And so uh, I I think it's like, like we said, privacy is now something that is becoming cool. And I mean, in fact, I I think people should start advocating for this where it's, it's not even just cool, but it's just a basic human right. 
you make a really good point about it being cool because for a long time, uh, Apple was the arbiter of privacy. Well, they still are. Uh, I don't think it's anywhere near as secure as as what Signal is. And we can talk a little bit about why uh, end-to-end encryption is actually secure. But I think the concern with Apple being the arbiter of privacy, which they became because they weren't very good at collecting data like Google is, so that they pivoted because they were bad at, at doing their competitors' uh, or business model. But the problem with Apple being the arbiter is that if it was if it was just them, uh, privacy would only be for people who are rich because their stuff is expensive. They make good quality products, but they're really expensive. They, you can't get uh, iMessage or their other products on on a Android phone or on the web. So because Signal's a not-for-profit, it's also accessible to a lot of people. And from what I understand, WhatsApp at one point, I think they still do. I, I could be wrong about this. I think they actually use the same security base layer as Signal. And Telegram is perhaps a little bit more proprietary. But I think the concern is, is that if your uh, information is, is being monitored, so that's number one. And the second is, you know, if, if law enforcement get a hold of it, right? Uh, law enforcement data collection, thanks to Edward Snowden's reveal, is, is pretty sweeping. Um, gathering everything and then looking for information after the fact. So signal uh, signals data is what's called end-to-end encrypted, meaning that it's it's locally encrypted on the device and it's also uh, encrypted on the server side and it uses open source encryption. It's not proprietary like Apple's. So Signal could be ordered to give over a bunch of their user data to law enforcement and they would be like, good luck because we can't unlock it and neither can you. So it's very difficult. They don't hold the keys to decrypt uh, whatever it is. That's that's actually only on device. And it's kind of funny because when I started using Signal, uh, I was kind of, I didn't understand why it was tied to a phone number. You had to put your phone number in on, on a mobile phone uh, and then you could sync it to other devices like a laptop or a tablet, but you had to scan like a QR code or a barcode or something like that. And then it would kind of push the information. It would sync it. So it's really only decryptable on on device, which is which is quite cool. It's interesting. What do you think about uh, what's going to happen? So because because of WhatsApp, well, the information about WhatsApp's data sharing with their parent company, Facebook, is a result of Apple's operating system. So what do you make of that? Yeah, and I mean, that's where even uh, we talked about this, where, um, you know, Facebook even ran full page ads in the New York Times, just, uh, you know, talking about like promoting small business. And I don't I don't even know, it didn't even make any sense. But um, I mean, uh, again, even uh, maybe to expand on what you were talking about, Eric, uh, I mean, with Apple, I don't even think it's a matter of them not being able to figure out how to go and use their data and, uh, you know, exploit it for their own profiteering and stuff but it's just their business model is different they're relying off of hardware i mean if they wanted their iMessage platform if they introduced it on android and i mean i I read another article that that this might be the best time if apple wanted to if they just uh, introduced an android app they could capitalize on it Uh, but uh, they just uh, don't rely on it i mean there's also talks and if you look at uh, uh, a lot of the uh, uh, job postings that have been, uh, you know, uh, posted for Apple in the last little while. They actually 
there's talks of them introducing their own search engine and dropping Google. Because right now, basically what's happening is Google pays Apple X, you know, I think it's like billions of dollars to be the primary search tool. And you can go and or change the default. it. The default. Because it's right? the default, right? Yeah. Yeah. So it's the default that uh, comes up. So you can change it to something else. And I mean, uh, for those of you who are concerned with uh, privacy, you might want to go and use DuckDuckGo. Is DuckDuckGo as good as Google? Probably not. I mean, it's it's like 90% there. But for a lot of those things, it's, uh, you know, you don't need to go and have, uh, you know, the use of sharing all your data to optimize your, um, you know, location data and other things. And, you know, they're probably going and sniffing through all your uh, emails and searches and uh, that sort of thing. And so it's just, it, again, even there uh, with DuckDuckGo, it's a different business model. But yeah, I mean, it is interesting. I mean, with Apple, uh, the one thing even uh, uh, to discuss or elaborate on what you're talking about, in the past, a lot of these companies, they were going and I mean, this was where Edward Snowden, uh, you know, talked about this and, you know, brought it to people's attention. But all of these big companies in the uh, event of some sort of law enforcement issue, they would go and work with the authorities. And they can still do that if they, um, you know, if we start looking at, uh, you know, warrants being issued and, you know, the, the courts uh, deeming it appropriate. But again, you know, signal you do not have access. Uh, it's end-to-end -end encryption, like you mentioned, it's with the device. Whereas with Apple, what could happen is because of all, especially for those who are, you know, backing everything up to the cloud, to the iCloud, that information could be unlocked. And so, and then it could be released to the authority. So yeah, I mean, by far Signal is the, right now anyways, there's, it's the most secure system, but even uh, as of uh, the last little while, I mean, you, Eric, you shared an article with, uh, with us and uh, just about how there's internal strife right now that they're looking at introducing features that may compromise that security that Signal has. Yeah, features that compromise the security, and then there's also internal strife at Signal. I think about um, bad actors, whatever that means, using their encrypted messaging uh, to do harm to people in 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 the public sphere. But the Signal's been around for a while, so it's more just it's on people's minds because a lot more people are using it. Uh, because they don't have a terrible terms of service for privacy. But I would argue that there's there's all sorts of peer-to-peer -peer messaging clients that are just as secure as Signal that have been around forever to use. Like, it doesn't really make a difference. Uh, I think I think the arguments that Signal could empower people to do damage is, is pretty weak because it's it's easy to find peer-to-peer -peer encrypted messaging uh, if, if you don't want anyone to see what you're talking about. So I think it's just a discussion that's happening in public because it hasn't been on people's minds. But I, I think the benefit to it being a public discussion and people thinking about it is that it'll probably draw attention to other things, like you said, that requires some privacy. So Google versus DuckDuckGo is a great example. And DuckDuckGo isn't as good, at least in terms of finding local content, because it doesn't use location information. Though some people argue that things like DuckDuckGo, in addition to being private, is a better search engine because uh, it's more consistent. It's easy to refine things. It doesn't localize information. It doesn't tell you what you want to see. In fact, I was using their kind of news search. It, it gives me stuff from all over. Where Google 
even if I do a search in Google News, it's really trying to show me what it thinks I want to see. And then that create, I wonder sometimes if that leads to that kind of filter bubble, those concerns around social media in general, like the, it puts people, it doesn't expose people to ideas that they may not have thought of. Um, so it depends, I guess, what, what you're optimizing for. And we've been using Signal uh, to t- kind of test it out uh, just to see how it works because we use messages a lot as for our group messages uh, over iPhone. But what do, you, what do you think so far, Chris, of, of Signal's interface? I mean, I think it's up, been updated quite a bit since it first came out. Oh, no, absolutely. I mean, it, it, uh, the interface, the you know, the UI be- previously was just, uh, it was horrible and I, I deleted it right away, uh, especially after I couldn't get uh, convince my friends. But this time around, it seems like, uh, you know, they're willing to. Uh, I think the other nice thing that, uh, you know, uh, when you start playing around with some of the features that it has, uh, there is the ability to have expiring messages. And so now you know that it's not going to be there indefinitely. And it's it's funny if you look at like a social media platform like Snapchat, that's kind of, you know, that was one of the main functionalities that they came out with where the messages were going to expire. And I mean, even for them, they might have been able to go in this type of direction. But um, uh, for whatever reason, they started going down the advertising route or what have you. So, um, you know, I, I think that's uh, kind of unique. There's also um, some cool like stickers that you can go and uh, download. And um, so there's like these kind of uh, add on uh, packages of stickers. And uh, so, I mean, that it kind of is a nice substitute for the emojis and other things that we have on iMessage for those people who don't have the Apple products. So, um, yeah, I, and the other, I guess, cool thing too, I mean, I haven't downloaded it myself, but there are desktop clients. And so you can go and download it right to your computer. So both for a PC and Mac. And that way, if you wanted to, you could go and basically not even have to use your smartphone and start messaging with people. Uh, the reason why I didn't install it on my computer is that, you know, I don't want to be distracted. Uh, so then I can just focus in on my work and, uh, you know, if I need to go and message somebody, then I can, but what about you? What do you think? I think it, I think it has a nice interface. Um, you know, the features, the stickers, all that stuff is fun. Uh, the replies are really great. Um, in fact, I, I wonder, I haven't, I had signal like you when it came out and then I didn't have it for a while. So I don't know if the replies actually predated Apple doing replies and iMessage. It might have, but the reply system I kind of like because it, it, it's very, dis- it's actually easier for me to follow the conversation because there's like a big blue background. This is a reply rather than like a kind of thin arrow pointing to a shadow of what the previous comment was. I like the way they do that. And, you know, replies, stickers, those nice to haves and messaging don't at all, as far as I know, compromise the security. I think they probably would stop uh, at, at having like third party apps that you can install, because I think with iMessage, you can install apps in iMessage. I find this all very confusing that there's apps within an app. So I think Signal probably couldn't allow for that because they wouldn't know what those apps have access to. But yeah, I think it's great. I actually did recently put it on my laptop. I'm with you. I had it. I didn't have it on my computer uh, for distraction reasons. I mean, the conversations our team has are super interesting, but the last couple of weeks have been crazy. So I've actually removed all notifications. I turned off notifications for calendar and all messaging temporarily, just while I'm focusing on one task. But I did download it for the computer just to see. And honestly, it's fantastic. Another thing, 
when it first came out, um, it had wet, like video and audio calling, but the quality was awful. So they have done some unbelievable work recently in terms of uh, improving the audio quality over signal. So I really like this feature. Uh, previously, you had secure messaging apps for, for text, but we didn't really have a, a good equivalent for doing uh, video or audio calls that was also end-to-end -end encrypted. So the fact that they do, you can do FaceTime and FaceTime audio-like calling or Skype-like calling over Signal, the quality is really good at this point. It's not quite as good as um, Apple or Google's offering, and maybe that's a result of the encryption or the security, but it's very, very close, and I know that that's also very secure. So honestly, I think it has, it has everything. I mean, I, I've actually been really quite impressed with it. Yeah. And even just to add people to a group, um, it's fairly easy. You can go in there and create a link for yourselves. Uh, you can also send out a QR code. So again, I, I think they've thought of a lot of those features just to make that ease of transition. I mean, at one point, even when we were using this, I noticed that, uh, and I think it was just with the millions, like, you know, I think they got like, uh, tens of millions of people downloading it that the their servers probably got overwhelmed uh, given the exponential growth that they were experiencing. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't surprise me that the service did go down. I think they're working probably around the clock to keep that from happening. It'll be interesting to see. I don't know if they host their own stuff, or if they host everything through like Amazon Web Services. We've, we've recently seen Amazon take down uh, like a social media company, Parler, because it has these crazy people that are on it. So I hope, uh, given that the good that Signal brings, that they're that they're not hosted by a company that would take them down for whatever reason. Um, I hope that that's the case. It seems like a pretty ethical company, the way that they run things. Uh, if people are interested in learning more about why Signal was developed, um, I highly recommend... Uh, an episode of the Joe Rogan podcast where this, where the CEO or the uh, founder of Signal, his name is Moxie Marlin Spike. I don't know where his name came from. I'm very curious. It's fantastic. I never forgot it. Uh, he has a discussion with him about why they developed Signal. And his argument is basically that uh, a lot of important events, particularly civil rights, gay rights, uh, things in society that advanced society forward required kind of a private space to have to hash out the details before they went public. And he, he makes this interesting case. He said, if you're having a conversation with a friend, but there was always somebody in a room with like a clipboard taking notes, that would really change the character of the conversation. And I think he, he kind of debunks that, oh, I don't need privacy. I have nothing to hide because he's like, well, but you, you do have things to hide that you're not ready to talk about publicly because you haven't thought through an argument to competently discuss it publicly. You need a, like a private space. I mean, like you and I, Chris, like we, we go over how we're going to talk about things on a podcast or think through problems together. And it's a way where it's kind of like a non-judgmental, okay, what do you think about this? So how about let's take that approach? I mean, that's, we do that every day. That's that's the space we try to allow for students, which is why it's important to education technology um, and our topics here, because the classroom is supposed to be a space where people can kind of hash out their ideas and figure out who they are and be exposed to others. And I think that that's kind of his argument for why there needs to be a signal. Yeah, no, absolutely. So we do have some other 
privacy related tools because we're talking about this today. So uh, I'm, if, if it's all right with you, Chris, I'm just going to go ahead and I'm going to discuss three browser extensions um, that I recommend. In fact, I have missed one in our list here, but I will add it off the cuff. So there's three that are privacy based and there's one uh, that's uh, a terms of service related. So uh, the first one is actually, I think all of the three of these are developed by the Electronic Frontier Foundation, which is a very privacy um, decent, decentralized web advocacy company. They do some really great work. Go to the EFF.org and uh, you know take a look at some of their literature. They have some really interesting stuff about um, common carriers and all sorts of stuff on the internet. But they have three uh, uh, browser extensions uh, that are available on Chrome and Firefox that are that are an Opera. I don't know if they're all on Safari, but they may be coming at some point. The first one's called HTTPS Everywhere. So that actually forces uh, secure sites for everything that you visit. So most sites these days are HTTPS, which is HTTP secure. So they're encrypted traffic. Um, a lot of older sites weren't designed with that in mind. The internet wasn't really designed with privacy in mind. So if you have HTTP sites are still out there, this will try to force encryption for all the uh, sites that you visit. My favorite named extension is called Privacy Badger, and it's basically a blocker for third-party tracking cookies. So I, I think it may be doing some ad blocking, but it's not so much about ads and the visuals. It's about the trackers that track you from site to site. So there's all these things on the internet. I don't really care so much about advertisements. That's how websites make money, other than that they slow the web down. It's not a big deal, but it's that there's there's actually like cookies that are installed. I think it's through cookies and they're able to track people where they go. And so they, it's literally a shadow. It follows you as you as you surf the web. So it kind of bl blocks that. That's where the EFF draws the line. And then if you're looking for an ad blocker, uh, I do whitelist sites, by the way, that I think are really great that do have some advertising. So I don't, you know, ruin their revenue stream. But for some sites, it's just awful. So I do have an ad blocker. I recommend uh, uBlock Origin. Uh, and I was told a long time ago that uBlock Origin is the one to go with, not uBlock. I don't know why that's the case. Perhaps it was forked, um, but I think it's just a it's it's a some ad blockers actually track you to make money because they're free. So uBlock Origin is not from the EFF, but it's a it's just a, a developer, so it's a very secure one. Um, the only thing I've noticed, and this is relevant for students, is that. I believe uBlock and Privacy Badger can mess up some of the searches you do if you're a university student. So I was actually doing a library session and I was trying to demonstrate how you could search across multiple databases at the same time. And I couldn't use the choose multiple databases option uh, until I whitelisted uh, one of the EBSCO search databases. Um, it just wouldn't come up. So I had to whitelist the database on both Privacy Badger and uBlock Origin um, because it was preventing kind of that window to come up where I could select multiple databases. That may be a feature of the website that actually requires some tracking cookies for consistency or something like that. So just be mindful that if you if you have a, a several uh, browser extensions that you enable that can occasionally create some problems uh, with with actual tools on websites. So that's just something to keep in mind. There's one more uh, a 
extension that I think would be useful, and it's actually really relevant to the the WhatsApp news. It's called uh, Terms of Service Didn't Read. And I don't remember if it's from the EFF or not, but essentially it's a, if you go to a website that has kind of a ridiculous terms of service, what they do is, is that that'll trigger the browser extension to tell you kind of a short summary of how egregious or fair the terms of service on that website are are. So it doesn't trigger for everything, but if you go into YouTube, uh, if you go into Twitter, something where there is like a very long in-depth terms of service, the people who who developed that extension, uh, I think kind of, they, they curate it. So it's human readable instead of legalese basically. And it'll tell you, by the way, here's the basics of what you need to know uh, on this particular site that we see that you're at because their terms of service is kind of egregious or whatever. So it's kind of an alert that what you're looking at or the site you're using may have kind of a, a not fair terms of service agreement. Actually, maybe another thing that uh, uh, we may want to just add on is just the type of browsers that you may want to look at in terms of uh, browsing the web. And so uh, I've been using Firefox for the longest time. And even though uh, like our um, one institution here, Mount Royal University, we're on the G Suite, so Google uh, but and probably Chrome does probably work better, but I, I just don't install it on my computer. So I, I always use Firefox. Uh, even on my uh, smartphone, another app that you may want to take a look at is uh, Firefox Focus. Uh, and it basically deletes every time you go and open up the, the actual browser itself. And I have heard from a friend of mine recently that uh, on the desktop that you may want to go and take a look at is um, Opera as a web browser, because apparently it has VPN built in right into the actual browser. Opera is a good one. Uh, you and I both use Firefox. So, I mean, we're both on the same page. I, I do um, advise people if they can not, if they can get away not using Chrome or a Chromium based browser, I suppose you could use Chromium, which is the open source version of Chrome, but um, Microsoft Edge, same thing, or whatever their new browser is. I think it's based on Chrome. They're not particularly con uh, secure. They, they send a lot of telemetry data, as I understand it, back to home base. And honestly, they use an enormous amount of computer resources. Firefox is pretty good. It's not as good as Safari if you're using a Mac for battery life, um, but it's very close. Um, if you are using a Mac, it doesn't hurt to have a few browsers installed. I agree with Chris. Firefox uh, is fantastic. If you're using mobile, Firefox Focus is the ad and kind of tracker blocking that I also use. Um, Safari browser, which is the built-in browser, if you use a Mac, is pretty good as well. I think by default it blocks trackers across websites. So I, I don't know how good of a job it does compared to, but Safari is a pretty good browser. It's certainly one of the fastest browsers out there because it doesn't have a lot of junk built into it. It's not my primary, but I would say it's still better than Chrome. Let's move on to our EdTech office hours. And we had a couple of questions from listeners. So if you're interested in uh, us answering your tech questions, if you're an educator in a university or K-12, or if you're a student, uh, you can tag us, uh, hashtag EdTechOfficeHours, or you could send us an email at hey at edtechexamine.com. 
Uh, we have a couple. Uh, the first one is, uh, what are your favorite headphones for teaching online? So Chris, you have a, an interesting recommendation. I, would you want to kick this off? Sure. I mean, uh, I, I don't know. I, this is just me, what I use. But uh, as uh, some of our listeners know, I have my dogs here and and sometimes uh, I need to go and let them out and so on. So I, I actually use wireless uh, ones. And then the ones that I particularly am using, it's uh, uh, Beats by Dre uh, Power Beats Pro. And so, you know, they're a little bit more expensive than the uh, traditional, like, um, uh, you know, uh, AirPods that Apple has. But um, I believe it actually has a better cross uh, compatibility with other devices. But for myself, um, I, I just found uh, the regular uh, Apple kind of headphones. They just fall out of my ears. So at least this way, if I need to, I mean, I, I only use it uh, if I'm doing something um, where I need to be wireless. Otherwise, I prefer to actually do it wired. But um, it works out pretty good. And I mean, uh, the, the mic's pretty decent. It's obviously not as good as a, you know, a dedicated mic. But if you have to let your dogs out and you still got to go and chat with students or, you know, have a meeting with somebody, it uh, certainly makes a, a, a difference. Yeah. I mean, I think it depends on what you're doing. I don't think I've ever used a pair of headphones where the students said, this is like the worst microphone audio quality ever. I think they're probably all good enough at this point. Um, so the, I, I do have a couple of recommendations. I actually don't use these, uh, but I did some research on what what headphones and headphones with a mic actually have some really good reviews and I've these are kind of the standards now so just as a point of comparison the headphones that I typically use are also wireless um, I sometimes plug them in uh, and I use wireless headphones for the same reason that Chris does is that I find the ability to get up and walk around or to do something and still be engaged and hear people I don't know. There's something about wireless headphones of all of the things that have come out, technologies that have come out in the last 10 or 15 years. I feel that true wireless headphones or earbuds are kind of the most magical because I'm really not tethered. I don't have to carry the phone in my pocket uh, for a bunch of reasons. I find it incredibly convenient. You do take a bit of a hit on the um, there's a slight delay, very minimal and like a millisecond or whatever with with Bluetooth. And that can be the case when you're using a microphone that's built into the headphones as well. But I use Bose QC35s. They're no longer king of the hill in terms of wireless uh, noise canceling headphones. Uh, Bose does have a, a 700 series. They have an update, but they're really expensive, incredibly expensive. Uh, Sony actually has something that's almost as good in terms of noise cancelling, arguably more comfortable, uh, very adjustable, and they're they're often on sale. I don't have the price on hand, but they're called the Sony uh, WH-1000s. Uh, they've been universally uh, applauded for excellent noise cancelling, uh, really good audio response. Uh, Sony makes really good headphones, and I think that's probably the best value for high-quality noise cancelling. They also have a really good mic. Both Sony and Bose tend to have a very good mic built into the headphones so even when i'm on phone calls um, people have told me that the headphones i use are are far superior to like the airpods for instance because the microphone is a lot but there's multiple microphones here if you need a headset for teaching that has a mic in it uh, i actually asked a couple of colleagues just to see what they use because i don't that's not what i use i either use the microphone the yeti like the what we're recording with 
But for classes, because I need a keyboard and I have a bunch of stuff, I actually use the microphone in my Logitech uh, webcam, which is also directional. But if you need something with a mic, uh, there's a headset called the Logitech a uh, H390. It's not a particularly expensive, I think $30, $40. You probably get it on sale. I know a lot of people who use it. Uh, and they're really happy with it. A couple other considerations when you're looking at headphones, uh, just from my experience. Um, you have to think about what the use case is. So one of the things with headphones that you have to be aware of is open versus closed back. So the headphones I'm wearing right now are actually uh, closed back. Um, so I can't actually hear my voice very well when I'm talking. I can hear Chris much better than I can hear myself. So if I'm using my uh, AirPods, which are open back, or a, a pair of headphones that don't physically block the outside sound, um, I can hear my own voice better. Sometimes people prefer that when they're teaching because uh, it's people who are on radio, for instance, they almost always use wired open back headphones like uh, AKGs or something like that because you can hear your own voice and they're really trying to get that radio talk voice accurate. So they're really working on their performance and presentation. So that's something to keep in mind. Uh, keep Think about the built-in mic if that's something you need. Um, take a look at reviews. Often there's really great headphones out there that are noise canceling or closed back and they're a really great price and that's because the mic isn't very good. So uh, take a look at that. And if you don't need a wireless pair of headphones, often you can get wired that are much better. And if you can get a wired pair that has actually a mic uh, built into the volume controls, like on the wire, sometimes that's better too. The only thing I'll say about that is that I've been to sessions where people are using either earbuds or uh, wired headphones where they have the kind of the microphone dangling on the volume control. And that tends to bash into their shirt and stuff like that. And then you get a lot of feedback. This is a little bit anecdotal. Those are just things that I have experienced watching other people teach online uh, things that I've used. I don't really need to hear myself that well, but the closed versus open back thing is, is probably a consideration. Chris, did you want to talk a little bit about our, our next item? Yeah, so this was another question that came up from our listeners, uh, especially if you have not only your personal plus your work and, uh, you know, if you're teaching and and maybe there's some uh, actual other jobs that you might have on the side. But how do you go and manage multiple calendars? Um, and so uh, I think, uh, Eric, you're going to go into detail in terms of like what you suggest. But the way I do it is I just use my iPhone and have all the calendars available on there. So that's one way that I can, if, um, you know, uh, need to go and figure out what I'm doing at the university versus my work plus my personal that's kind of my go-to. And uh, beyond that, I actually don't, um, you know, uh, use my uh, teaching calendar much. Uh, everything is by appointment, but people will have to contact me for it. And so, um, you know, that's that's kind of how I do it. But anyways, you want to go through the detailed version of how you could do it? Yeah. I, I First of all, I think that's a great solution. So I actually do something pretty similar um, uh, on uh, my actual on device. So I, I, I have used Apple's calendar app in the past where I can sync uh, my work calendar, personal, etc. Uh, I actually use an app um, called Calendars 5, which is a paid app by Riedel. Um, I really like it because you can, you can do a bunch of things. You can add your calendars manually as an account, 
And you can also um, determine kind of what your default to-do list app is. So it'll sync with, if you're on like an iPhone, for instance, it'll sync with uh, Apple's reminders, or you can sync it with Google Tasks. So you get a few options for what do you want your default calendar to be? What do you want your default to-do list to be? A few things like that. Um, I don't know if that's still the number one. The one that's recommended is a calendar app. Most of these are paid, by the way. Calendar apps are, maybe they're really expensive to make. Maybe that's why they always charge money. But Fantastical is very, very popular on uh, multiple platforms. Um, So it's a good one for adding multiple things. Also, the Google Calendar app. Uh, is free and that's on multiple platforms and I believe the Google Calendar app allows you to add uh, third-party calendars as well now the challenge comes oh uh, sorry I should also point out the Outlook calendar which is also free for Android and iOS that's done by Microsoft that allows you to add multiple calendars so if you have an application and, and you want to do that that's really great the, the problem becomes um, when you want to also sync on the web. So here's a, this is kind of a unique use case, but when I use Google Calendar uh, and I wanna sync multiple things, the problem is, is that if I use Google Calendar in the web, let's say I don't have my phone with me, I'm using my office desktop, something like that, uh, it won't sync on the web with say my iCloud personal calendar. And if I go and add <laughs> um, my iCloud personal calendar to Google Calendar on the web and I have it on my desktop or mobile app, I'll see my personal calendar twice. It'll duplicate everything. So one way to get around this uh, is you can go, if, you, if your personal calendar is a different platform like Microsoft or iCloud, you have to find um you, the calendar that you use and you have to get the link uh, associated uh with that particular calendar i believe uh for icloud you have to go to icloud.com and then click on the calendar icon and then uh, in the left part of the screen you see a list of the calendars that you've created so you could create a home calendar for yourself and then you have to click the share button and it'll give you a, a web syncing link to that particular calendar. And then if you go into, say, uh, maybe your work calendar is Google Calendar, which is the case for me, you can actually manually add calendars to Google uh, from a URL. So, and then you add the URL that you took from iCloud, and then it'll, it'll sync. And then if you do it on the web, it'll, it'll sync the calendars. And then you don't have to add them again on your uh, mobile app. And depending on the kind of mobile app you have, that you can also have control over duplication and stuff like that. This is a workaround I used because I just wasn't uh, bringing my devices into my office or I had them turned off, but I still needed access to my personal and work calendar. So there are some things you can do uh, to sync it over the web. It's a little bit tricky. Uh, it doesn't sync super fast. So if you make a bunch of changes to your personal account, you probably won't see them for maybe a couple of hours or something. Um, but it is another way where you can do that. And uh, one other thing I should mention as well on my iPhone, I also color code the various calendars. So then based on that, I know whether it's work, if it's home, uh, you know, if it's um, something just 
general, like if some type of webinar that I want to attend or what have you. So I have various calendars color coded so I, I can go and pick up pretty easily what's more important. Yeah, exactly. It's funny, though. I color code a lot of things in Google Calendar, like even different types of events. So I think Flamingo Pink are all the classes that I have to teach, but they don't show up on Apple calendars. And I really wish they did because that visual coloring scheme is so fast for recognizing clusters of things that I have to do, whether it's meeting or time block time to do deep work or teaching or whatever. So I wish those carried over. It's probably a good time to move on to our discussion item. Uh, so we were talking a little bit before the show, and we were we were talking a little bit about um, not student technology skills, but we were talking a little bit about uh, the idea of searching for something or searching for an answer to the problem uh, before you come to your instructor or professor. So what what do you think of this, Chris? Did you want to start? Yeah, so I mean, it's funny, like, I, I think maybe also one thing that I've noticed is uh, setting up expectations with uh, students. Like last semester, I found how my the volume of emails coming to me was just uh, it was getting kind of out of hand. And so one thing that I've uh, told my students this semester is, especially with a, a heavy teaching load, that just be mindful of that and, uh, you know, uh, before you send something over and then uh, alongside of that, also make sure, especially when you uh, have multiple sections, just to include that in the subject line. But I, I get sometimes a little bit um, perturbed uh, by students going and emailing me questions which they could just go and figure out the answer for. And I mean, actually, one thing that I found that was interesting is I had uh, a few students this semester contact me and ask me about the textbook. And which, you know, it's in the course outline. Uh, conceivably, every university would have a bookstore, so you can get it from there. Then you have, you know, one of the largest retailers, Amazon, which you could get it. You could get it directly from the publisher. So I, I'm not exactly sure how this comes up. And I, sometimes I'm not even sure how I should respond to it. I mean, now I, I have a way that I've created, like, you know, giving them multiple avenues and I just copy and paste that over. But I don't know if I really should have to. And I know some of my colleagues, they probably would not even respond, maybe. Yeah, it's it's a funny thing. I mean, I get a lot of random questions, uh, reference questions as a librarian. And I, I got I got some really interesting questions in the past. I got a question from a student that I answered. He said, well, how did, how did you figure that out? How did you figure out what that term was? And I said, I, I Googled it. In fact, I read it on Wikipedia, which is a, a big faux pas for citing. But if I need to know a definition or at least have something to work with to start with, uh, there's nothing wrong with looking at Wikipedia to start. It's certainly are most likely one of the first hits to come up if you're looking for a historical event or a definition. And it's not always perfect, but at least I have something to work with and then I can go on and move. So it's an interesting idea. Um, I think one of the things that I find fascinating about this is that it doesn't always occur to people, and I don't think this is a generational thing, to search or to try a search before asking for what we would may call professional expertise. And I, I, it's an interesting thing that's a carryover from, uh, you know, from an era where search didn't exist. So I guess it's, I always assume that, oh, well, someone will always have tried to search this. So I agree with you, Chris. I always uh, tell students explicitly, like, 
give it a go, try to search for the information. And if you get stuck uh, searching for a definition or an answer, or maybe you come up with conflicting things after you did your search, that's a good time to contact me because now I actually have something a little bit more complex to work with. It's not like, let me Google that for you, which is kind of a defeating thing. I don't like to tell students that because uh, often they, they're more than capable of doing that themselves. And they're often amazed at what they can find if they just drop it in Google, even if it's not a perfect search. Yeah, no, for sure. And I, again, I I don't know. I mean, it's uh, this is one of the things when people, when they're coming to university, I mean, I always start off every uh, class, my first class, I actually tell them, why are you going to university? And one of the things that I always say is that uh, the first thing is, you know, you're going to go and develop those critical analysis, critical thinking skills. Um, and so, you know, this is especially in this era of fake news, you can go engage for yourself. But the second thing is research skills. And so, you know, uh, if you don't know the answer to something, at least you can go and figure it out for yourself. And uh, I, again, it kind of amazes me, like the first thing that somebody should probably do is do a Google search or any search engine search. Uh, I mean, I look back to our days, or at least my days, I'm older than you are. So, uh, you know, it was so much more difficult to go and do research because you'd have to go to a database, figure out, uh, you know, what database to go and look at, get the microfiche, roll it up on, you know, onto a, uh, an actual projector, and then zoom in and out and print photocopy the actual thing and it, it it actually costs money as well right so you'd have to go and spend uh, I, I forget how much we I think it was maybe like a 25 cents or something per um, uh, copy but now all of a sudden you know you have like 40 articles that you, you have to go and that was that was the only way and now literally on our fingertips we have access to the news and I, I think also one thing people should always be mindful of too is that uh, given that we're in an academic environment, you don't necessarily, I mean, the Google is a, a nice start. And we know, again, for those of you who don't know why you shouldn't use Wikipedia is because anybody can go and change it. <laughs> so, But it, it, it's still a good starting point. But the nice thing is that uh, through our libraries, you know, we are paying, you know, significant amount of money to go and have subscriptions and access to information that you wouldn't otherwise be able to. I mean, I look at it in a business context, like for example, there's a company called Gartner that does a bunch of research reports. And I'm not sure if Mount Royal has subscription, but at the University of Calgary, we do. And some of those reports, if you were to go and buy it outside of the educational environment, they could cost five, 10, 20,000 bucks. And here, you know, where we have the licenses in place. I mean, I would take full advantage, especially if you are uh, thinking of maybe starting up some type of uh, entrepreneurial endeavor, use uh, uh, the resources at your disposal through our libraries uh, to do so. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, we have so many resources available through the library, millions of dollars uh, in subscriptions and acquisition funds. So certainly make, make use of those where possible and master those search skills. Well, that about wraps it up for our episode today. Uh, Chris, did you want to tell people how they can contact you? Yeah, so if, uh, you can go to my website. So it's Chris with a K, so K-R-I-S-H-A-N-S dot C-A. Or you can also reach me on uh, Twitter, which is uh, at Chris Hans. And I'm Eric Christensen. And you can also reach me at my website, which is Eric, E-R-I-K, uh, Christensen uh, dot net. You can also reach me on Twitter at 
E.G. Christensen, and I do write about the tech industry. So I have another website, TechBytes, so tech-bytes.net. That's a wrap. Thanks very much, Chris. This is awesome. Yeah, yeah for sure. It's always a pleasure. You can learn more about EdTech Examined by going to our website, edtechexamined.com. There, you'll find ways to subscribe, as well as host information, our social media accounts, and our blog posts. Our blog posts are also published through Medium on the EdTech Examined publication. You can contact EdTech Examined by emailing us at hey at edtechexamined.com. If you have an EdTech question you'd like us to answer on a future episode, you can email us or reach us through Twitter using the hashtag EdTechOfficeHours. You can find EdTech Examined on Twitter and Instagram with the handle at EdTechExamined, and we also have a LinkedIn page you can follow. Until next time.